you just have a sort of instinct and something either doesn't feel right or something changes then you should follow that you know you've got to trust yourself at the end of the day mm. and something just felt different so we sort of started speeding up and then we got closer and we saw people were running so we actually held hands and we just ran towards the capital as fast as we physically could jumped over a couple of walls trampled over a couple of fences that had already been knocked down and then that's when we got to the steps of the capital just a few meters behind the inauguration stage and that's where we kind of remained i called robert he made his way to us somehow managed to find us and then that's when the footage that you'll probably have mm. seen started getting shot mark incredible just kept steady just kept shooting and i just was trying to watch his back and make sure we weren't hurt basically Hello and welcome to the Women of the Future podcast, a podcast made in collaboration with the Women of the Future programme, a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders, as well as support and celebrate the successes of women. I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018, in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures and inspirations along the way, and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Sophie Alexander is an award-winning producer and occasional powerlifter, currently working in international affairs for Sky News. In her previous role at ITV News, Sophie was a part of the only broadcast crew in the world to follow rioters into the Capitol building in Washington DC on January the 6th, 2021, for which she and the team, including US correspondent Robert Moore and camera operator Mark Davey, have been recognised globally with multiple accolades for their coverage. Sophie was the recipient of the Women of the Future Award in the media category in 2021. I grew up in a very nuclear supportive family. Younger sister, two parents, mum, dad, grandma, very close by, who I'm really, really close with, godfather. And to be honest, they couldn't do enough for us, really. Like, very, very lucky in that regard. My sister was born really premature, like well over four months. Oh, wow. 17 weeks, I think she was. I was only two at the time. I had no idea what was going on. So my mum was sort of almost paranoid that I would get a complex about it. So we are just treated completely equally. There is no favourite. There is no one gets something, the other gets something. We are completely equal, although we are totally different. She's... <laughs> an artist with blonde hair in Cardiff. <laughs> oh, you're creative too, right? Yeah, I, I guess. I don't think of myself as creative at all. I think I am quite square, actually. But I suppose technically the industry thinks of us as creative, so I guess I'll go with it. And what were you like at school? Were you a good student? Were you diligent, hardworking? Or were you a bit of a jack-of-all-trades? I think I was, I was a bit of a, like the class joker sometimes. So probably, I reckon I was quite annoying to teach in subjects that I wasn't interested in. I didn't fail science, but I did really badly at it, which just shows it doesn't matter because then I went on to be a science producer for a year, which my family thought was hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, I think I, I loved all the, I loved English and I loved history because I just like reading and I had good teachers. 
but yeah, science and maths. Whew, no, not no good at that. Not how my brain works. I saw you did a master's at Edinburgh Uni, and yeah. I also found out that about your powerlifting skills. Tell me more about yeah. that. Well, first of all, confession, it's not really a master's, but all Scottish degrees are a Scottish master's. Well, so, take it, take it. Yeah. yeah. So I've got MA, <laughs> whatever that means, but it was just, it was a four year English literature degree, but I didn't go on to do a master's because I just think they're too expensive, really. Mm. Um, and yeah, that's when I got into lifting competitively or lifting at all because I didn't really I did a bit of sport at school but nothing how did you get into it all of a sudden you're like I fancy having a go at that I think um I'd sort of always gone to the gym and I'd always done a bit of this and a bit of that and I I just thought I had the capacity to just kind of be a bit more powerful and I wanted to look muscular but I just I didn't really know what to do so I made friends um the man called Yusuf I'm still really close with and he just used to go to the gym a lot and lift so I was just like can you take me with you one day he sort of showed me the basics and then I really got into it loved it wish I'd been doing it all my life and then I started competing and it was strange to think actually because so I'm 32 now I guess I started competing when I was about 21 22 so what's that like 10 11 years ago barely any women at the competitions I would go and win by default because I had no one to compete against no other women in my weight category and now wow if I was still competing I don't think I'd even get in top 10 to be honest like women have really got very strong but you got to a national national level though yeah um my best was third at the British championships so that was fun yeah yeah I guess I guess it's such a neat it's quite a niche sport it's not weightlifting like on the Olympics it's sort of mm. just strength and a bit of technique but then I busted my shoulder at oh that competition actually so yeah mm. got third but then had to have four pins put in my shoulder so wow mm. <laughs> yeah quite painful so and then couldn't try to get try to sort of continue it but just sort of lost I lost the passion for it really I think because I was paranoid about injury again and then couldn't quite get my level of strength back up. Just got a bit fed up with it, really. So I still train now, but not to that level at all. Now I just sort of do a bit of various bodybuilding stuff. But I do um, Mai Tai, which I'm really into at the moment. Oh, cool. So how did you get into the media industry then? Because you started with the Express newspaper group and you were there for five years. And as you've already alluded to, you were then health and science producer with ITV, <laughs> much to your family's amusement, I'm sure. Yeah. And then you went on to become the Washington producer, and we can talk a little bit more about that. But what was it that started you on that career path? I think I wished I'd had a sort of light bulb moment. And, you know, some people are born thinking they just know they're going to be doctors or lawyers. I didn't really have that. I think I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew I liked reading and I knew I liked writing so it just seemed the obvious career there was no you know I didn't I wish it was sort of more romantic than that but I didn't read any articles growing up and think I want to do this or aspire mm. to be anyone I just thought that seems like a good idea and that was it really I, I did a bit of what, what was I at university I was the music editor of the oh, okay. local paper because I basically just like going to gigs and then like writing about them 
<laughs> loads of free ulterior motive to that yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> um and then i did i did a bit of work experience at the scotsman i think i can't remember how i got that but i think i met a journalist at the scotsman and just harassed them until they gave me their business card and then just kept harassing them until i think they thought they'd just give me a week to shut me up <laughs> i think people use that approach i've had that approach on yeah. me before we talk a lot about role models and mentors on this podcast and I was wondering whether you had that kind of person in your life or whether it was more a moment that was like a light bulb reassurance that you were doing the right thing or have you had guidance and do you still have guidance in the work that you do? Um, I would say I've never really had a professional role model as such but I've as I said earlier I've always been really supported by my family and I think my grandma, Mimo, we call her, or I call mm. her, everyone calls her, who is now around, is 92, has always been a kind of guiding light and a reassurance for me that I'm doing the right thing, even though it's difficult and just keep pushing. She always says to me the family catchphrase, which is don't let the bastards get you down or bastards, <laughs> she would say, because she's from the north. <laughs> and um, I think she was always I think had she not had, you know, children young as women of that generation did, I think she could have had uh, an incredible professional career. She's really intelligent. There were always books around the house, always reading, always doing crosswords very particular about grammar and spelling so she always I mean still now if I need something looking at I'll send it to her you know she's 92 now so I think she was the kind of steadfast point that I was doing the right thing but to be honest some of my parents I'm as I said I'm really lucky that I've got them I think if I wanted to stand outside the house with a bucket on my head they'd congratulate me so <laughs> I, again, on this podcast, I normally ask people across all the work you've done, is there any one thing in particular that stands out for you or that you're particularly proud of? And I think I might be able to not guess, I'm pretty sure of what that might be for you, because you were part of the only broadcast crew in the world to follow rioters into the Capitol building on January the 6th. Can you... I mean, I've, I've made that assumption for you but if that's true could you tell us a bit more about it and oh God, I don't even know where to start maybe a run through of the events of that day and what it meant to you of course and yeah you're right that is my biggest professional accomplishment today and might be ever which is really <laughs> hard to think no. about because yeah, will I ever get a scoop like that again possibly not I'm sure I will never say on. never never say never I know I, I, I hope I go on to do lots more meaningful stories but perhaps in terms of history I think that will probably probably be the one um so yeah take you through it I mean we've been tracking when I say we I mean the ITV news team in Washington because I now work at Sky um we've been tracking right-wing militia for some months leading up to the election and Robert Moore who's the correspondent that I produce out there who is incredibly knowledgeable and has an encyclopedic level of insight knowledge about American life and American politics was keeping across it as well so it wasn't a great surprise to be honest I think because we had been tracking the activity I didn't know they were going to storm the capital as such not a mind reader and I didn't have that level of insight but we knew that tempers weren't just fraying they were 
frazzled the, the country Volatile. had almost been yeah. yeah the country had almost been hit by a sort of lightning bolt that had divided it in a really fragmented fractured sort of way so I think yeah leading up to that day we knew that there was going to be tension we knew there was going to be anger fury possibly violence so when Donald Trump was making his speech on January 6th there was absolutely no way when he said and let's walk to the capital that we were ever not going to walk with protesters to the capital um Robert had to dash back to the bureau to package for evening news so mm. Mark Davey the camera operator and I ambled along with the protesters and then I've said this before that something in the air just sort of changed um but it's become a bit more dangerous yeah I think um just the air just felt charged I think we've learned before and I've spoken to colleagues and you just have a sort of instinct and something either doesn't feel right or something changes then you should follow that you know you've got to trust yourself at the end of the day mm. and something just felt different so we sort of started speeding up and then we got closer and we saw people were running so we actually held hands and we just ran towards the capital as fast as we physically could jumped over a couple of walls trampled over a couple of fences that had already been knocked down and then that's when we got to the steps of the capital just a few meters behind the inauguration stage and that's where we kind of remained I called Robert he made his way to us somehow managed to find us and then that's when the footage that you'll probably have mm. seen started getting shot Mark incredible just kept steady just kept shooting and I just was trying to watch his back and make sure we weren't hurt basically they took control for a full three hours and it was the first time anyone had stormed the capital since the 1800s. Yeah. It's, it's quite remarkable. And there's lots of footage around, you know, like user generated content of people mm. filming on their iPhones and what have you. But you were the only news crew that got into that building. And I've seen stuff that you've written saying at one point you were circled by the rioters and they drew back a bit when they realised that you were British do you think it was that, that, I don't know, what was the feeling like actually inside the building? Because we've all quite familiar now with the guy with the horns and, you know, all of the, yeah. But also, again, there was probably no doubt that on that day, those who hijacked the building were prepared to fight till, till potentially they, they lost their own lives. You know, that's extreme. How did it feel for you to be amongst all of that? I've definitely never witnessed rage like it before because you've got to remember the people that stormed the Capitol that day truly believed that democracy was about to end in America. They truly believed that Donald Trump won the presidency and that the man about to be certified, Joe Biden, was an illegitimate president. So by that belief, yeah, they were prepared to fight yeah potentially until they lost their lives however there were also some people who sort of got swept up by the crowd as well you know what they did was still illegal but I don't think they had that kind of intent that day but yeah there was real fury there and there was that sort of immediate fear and that immediate knowledge in the back of my mind that we're journalists and we're not liked by this group you know Thankfully, Mark shoots on a DSLR, so we didn't have the huge news camera mm. with us. But I mean, we had a microphone and we were conducting interviews in the Capitol. It was pretty clear that we were journalists and we did get 
accosted on a couple of occasions and we just had to talk our way out of it. Just thankfully we're British. And <laughs> that, that really helped us, you know, the accent. Has there been anything obviously since and it's such a remarkable feat that you've all achieved but I know also in the work that I do the person fronting whatever it is that you're working on gets all of the kudos and the praise and the accolade and I know that obviously Robert has been pretty decent in sharing that Mm -hmm. amongst the rest of the team but how have you found it in the aftermath was it a bit of a shell shock situation or how was it all received and what has it meant for you in your career I was actually talking to someone the other day about this just in terms of the immediate aftermath so we got back to the bureau just buzzing with adrenaline absolutely buzzing but still not quite realizing that we were the only ones that got inside news at 10 went on air it came off air we obviously saw our competitors hadn't got anywhere near inside or anywhere close and then the sort of thanks side piling in obviously all the bosses ICB but then the ex-director general of the BBC emailed us editor of the Washington Post called up head of ABC and that's when we realized wow okay we just did something historic then and then I just actually had to sit for a while just sort of quietly and just sort of try and process what was going on which I actually found really difficult because I hadn't been involved in a really big story like that before so I found that yeah I just had to really sit and just try and soak it all in but also try and calm myself down and I think I I don't think I slept for about three nights because Mm -hmm. one because the adrenaline was keeping us going but also there were interview requests coming in thick and fast not just for Robert for Mark and I as well and that was unusual because I'm a producer I deliberately don't want to be in front of the camera I'm not interested in being in front of the camera I like being behind the scenes so then to do interviews with uh, Variety, Hollywood Reporter, mm-hmm. I know Evening Sounded, Independent, a host, a host of well-respected journals was quite, yeah, it was confusing, actually. And it was slightly embarrassing. I just felt a bit, yeah, I just felt a bit embarrassed the entire time. But then everyone around me was like, look, enjoy it. So what are you what were you embarrassed <laughs> at, what were you embarrassed of though oh I don't know I mean, there's journalists around the world doing incredible things incredible things that are having huge impacts in people's lives and you know most people don't know them and know their work and we were inside the capital for 90 minutes and the world went mad it just seemed it just felt a bit sheepish about it in a way you know <laughs> it's baffling to me because it seems as seismic as some of the other things that are obviously comparable in your mind but yeah I suppose it's very subjective isn't it and like you say if you're not used to having the limelight shone on you that can be quite strange yeah it was strange but then I just thought okay enjoy it and actually that's why I applied to the women of the future because well someone suggested I do it actually and then I thought you know what why not you know, I've had a good year. I, I kind of was asked that in my interview, I think. The panel said, what would this mean to you? And I think I just said I would find it very validating because usually as a producer, you sort of you might get a slap on the back from the boss, but mm. no one else knows the hard work you put in or what you've done for the story. So, yeah, I think it was ultimately very validating to have those sort of plaudits. And speaking more about the work that the Women of the Future program does, because it's Mm. the Asian Women of Achievement Awards and it's the Kindness and Leadership Awards and those kinds of networks. 
do you see the value in those as well because again the work that you do is incredible and as much as you probably don't think it is like (laughs) how that feeds into this greater network and how it's inspiring and how you can inspire others and pay it forwards and be part of this really solidifying experience yeah absolutely like I said earlier I never really had a professional role model not that I would ever think I would be anyone's role model but if someone could if a young woman listening because journalism is a tricky game you know and it's luck and it's about who you know and I didn't know anyone getting into it it's very nepotistic so if someone watching listening whatever or that I speak to or that I might have spoken to or who just sees a tweet if yeah there's a young woman or a young girl just thinking oh hmm that sounds quite fun maybe I fancy that then brilliant because there are not enough female journalists at all we need millions more and from different backgrounds you know we need more female journalists from all walks of life because ultimately then you get the best stories if you have different people telling them otherwise only one version of one story gets told and that's no use to anyone I always take the mickey out of my boss he calls it giving a voice to the voiceless but it's entirely true it's giving a platform to the stories that you wouldn't hear or the people Mm -hmm. that wouldn't normally tell them or feel that they're able or they have the opportunity to tell them and it's a really enabling experience isn't it to try and just be considerate of that and mindful of that in everything that you do yeah exactly I mean I felt when I got back from the states I did um some work with the investigative unit ITV we did a series on social housing for about six months and I think actually while the capital has got the sort of you know the glitz and the glamour actually I think the work I did in housing was far more valuable because Mm. it was telling real people's stories and real people and often women who are really struggling and who aren't being listened to and who are just at their wits end so I think yeah I think more people listening and listening to people who have almost given up you know they've tried everything half the people we spoke to on the housing story they ticked all the boxes and still no one was listening and then all it took was a couple of us to walk into their houses and just think wow this there's something has gone horribly wrong with the state of housing in this country for this to be okay so yeah I think journalism is the basics really just use your eyes and listen listen to everyone well, I have some quick fire questions for you just to finish. So okay. here we go. What would you describe as your greatest success? Uh, storming the capital. And your greatest failure? Um, greatest failure. I've got so many mini failures. It's almost <laughs> hard to choose. I feel like I mess, up on a da- I, I mess up on a daily basis. It's hard to pick just one. Do you see uh, do you see failure for that though? Because like you say, you make little mistakes and slip up occasionally, but actually when it comes to the word failure, is it more of a learning experience? No, I'm quite hard on myself. I'm really hard on myself. <laughs> Thought you might be. Thought you yeah, might be. <laughs> just, yeah, every, to me, you know, if I get up in the morning and I spill the coffee grounds, that is a failure and the day is going to be ruined. So I should probably just try to be a bit less dramatic. Um, <laughs> Catastrophizing. Oh yeah, my God. I mean, okay. How about the biggest physical failure mm. was not lifting with proper technique at the British Championships and knackering my shoulder, which is quite boring. Oh, but, um, yeah. yeah, but painful. Uh, that was the biggest failure. Yeah. And maybe, maybe in the capital we could have turned left instead of right and followed different writers and maybe learned a different story I don't know you never know it's like serendipity isn't it though yeah sliding doors Mm -hmm. 
The mantra of Women of the Future is kindness and collaboration. What does that mean to you in both your personal and professional life? I think kindness in journalism is really crucial. I think it's one thing that just doesn't really exist in newsrooms. I think it's changing. The days of the screaming news editor, thankfully, are going out the window. But collaboration and kindness among colleagues will only lead to better things. On the housing stories, Sarah Connell, who is a phenomenal, phenomenal freelance journalist, brought the story in. And then her and I worked really hard on it for yeah, six months or more. And that led to what people saw on their TV screens and, you know, multiple inquiries and questions in the House of Commons. So that was total collaboration, but she could have just wanted to do that on her own. Or I could have said, mm, well, I'm working on this now. I don't want to work with you. But together, it just made a far better story. And there was no competition whatsoever. And I've learned loads from her, actually. She's a great new friend and colleague in my life. Is there anything that scares you? Yeah, apart from spiders, which I have <laughs> a severe fear and horrible arachnophobia of. All of them? Uh, every single one, yeah. I'm actually thinking <laughs> about getting hypnotherapy. So is, is that serious? Yeah, my my dad's worried that I'm going to be driving the car. Oh, God, yeah. The spider's going to jump out at me and I'm going to crash. That's happened um, to me, though. One, like, dangled in front of my face. I had to pull over, so I was like, I couldn't deal with I'd it. Be, yeah. I'd be dead. <laughs> So, <laughs> you would have been in the hedge yeah <laughs> even, the, even the thought of the hypnotherapy terrifies me um yeah uh, there's a hundred things I'm scared of to be honest failure professional failure just not being good enough in an industry that really just values you you're only as good as your last story there will come a time and it's pretty much now it's been a year since the capital I can't dine out on that for the rest of my career you know <laughs> um so yeah just yeah, not coming up with good stories that people care about and that make an impact or missing something, not listening enough to that last person who might have had something amazing to say, but I didn't ask the right question. Yeah, I think just professional failure is probably what I'm most afraid of. It sounds like you're so hard on yourself because I've seen the work that you do and I've read the work that you do. And as much as it's not as glorified potentially as the capital work, it's just as important and pertinent and needs to be out there so I think you're being extremely hard on yourself you sound like my therapist <laughs> it's free it's giving it for free <laughs> what is left on your to-do list wow okay loads so I want to work in multiple other countries I worked in the states I would go back to the states and my girlfriend's American as well so that probably will be on the cards in the future but I'd love to work in I don't know Bangkok or Russia I'd probably have to learn a few languages. In fact, learn a language, that's on my to-do list. I don't speak any other languages. And you meet, I meet people all the time and speak three or four. I was at kickboxing earlier and a guy told me he can speak six. What? You know, and I just, how... Crazy. Yeah, how awful that I think I can just get away with speaking English for the rest of my life. It's terrible, isn't it? Mm, yeah, you know, it is. yeah, learn another language, work in other countries, and um, yeah, just find some other interesting stories that matter to people, I guess. Sophie, you're so inspiring. Thank you for sharing those stories with us. They're so unique and interesting and I'm incredibly grateful for you for taking the time. Well, thank you very much for having me. Sorry if I've sounded slightly frazzled at times. I have just come straight from the gym. So <laughs> I'm physically exhausted. Yeah, but that was really enjoyable. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Women of the Future podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, why not give us a rating and review? You know you want to. For more about the Women of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon.